0: Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. I'm with uh, three members of my firefighting family. <laughs> I have Ash. Oh, hey yeah. I've got Scott. Hey, sick. and we've got Rob back. <laughs> Hi there. All right. Uh, so tonight, actually, we're going to um, have a chat with uh, one of my buddies, uh, Jeff Everett. Um, he's a uh, aircraft uh, rescue firefighter from Kelowna Airport. Um, Jeff and I go way back. 22 years ago, we were both live-ins for the city of Penticton. That's where I first met him. And uh, yeah, he was a paid on call firefighter there for many, many years, and then moved up and got a full time position with uh, Kelowna Airport. So we're going to talk about um, some of the uh, strategies and tactics for aircraft firefighting and all the above. So let's uh, jump right into it. Hey Jeff, all right, welcome, man. Let's um, get you to introduce yourself to all of our listeners.
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. My name is Jeff Everett. I'm uh, an aircraft rescue firefighter of Kelowna. Uh, I've been with the fire department there since 2011. I'm an acting captain. Uh, I've got close to 20 years of uh, volunteer and aircraft firefighter experience.
0: Awesome. Yeah, so uh, Jeff and I met, um, well, I guess it's like 22 years ago now. Um, Like halfway through your career. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I got hired as a uh, paid on call uh, firefighter for the city of Penticton. And I got to be a live-in at Hall 2. And Jeff was already a uh, senior live-in there. Um, So that's where I I met him and learned all the bad habits of firefighting from him.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know about all the bad habits, but (laughs) uh, maybe a few. Yeah,
0: but it was a lot of fun. So basically, yeah, it was just a little... uh, one oh, one large bedroom with three beds in it, and we each had our own little space. And yeah, when you're at the hall, you would uh, get sent out sent out on the calls with the uh, career guys.
2: So, live-in, was it paid? Yeah,
0: no, it was uh, it's a unique
1: experience. It was a, a live in position, so we would uh, we wouldn't charge rent, but we would expect to be around sorry, a number sorry. of days a week to respond to any calls to help supplement the paid staff in the community. It used mm-hmm. to be a big thing, um, in Vernon, Kelowna and Penticton, um, to help supplement the staffing and, uh, it's sort of fading away now with, uh, with staffing requirements and, and people that can't volunteer as much
3: now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Jeff, you are currently a firefighter and acting captain for the Kelowna airport, right?
1: I am so, yes.
0: Yeah. So I guess what, so what kind of sparked this was um, we saw the, um, the video footage online of that uh, aircraft incident uh, in, really? involving that ARF crew, uh, the firefighting crew in Peru. So we were chatting about it, and uh, yeah. Yes. Jeff, do you want to take that?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So as you guys have seen on pretty much every piece of social media, there was uh, an incident where a, uh, responding ARF truck, um, ended up getting run over by a plane. Um, so from my, my understanding is that they were building a new fire hall at the uh, airport there in Peru. And, um, what they do to meet requirements is they have to do a response test. And I guess they were trying to do this response test to meet their category. And it sounds like the, they had a window of time um, to do it. And it sounds like they set it off. The guys ran to the trucks. They got to the trucks. They proceeded to the runway. And I'm not really sure what, what occurred from there, whether there's clearly a, clearly an accident. Um, I'm not sure whether they had clearance to be on the runway or whether they were supposed to stop short because anywhere in Canada, you can't proceed on a taxiways and runways without clearance from the tower. Um, That being said, those trucks, that was a Rosenbauer 1500. It's close to 60,000 pounds and they'll accelerate from zero to 80 kilometers in about 20 seconds. So they got a lot of get up and go and it takes an awful lot to stop them. So I'm not sure. um, I'm not sure whether they had clearance or not, or whether he just hammered on the brakes and couldn't, couldn't get stopped in time. And uh, as you can see, he got clipped by the plane and uh, now those, the next responding vehicle is, you know, watching his buddies get hit the, the two firefighters in the cab and uh you know now you've got a now you've got to respond to the plane that's on fire skidding down the runway and uh you know try and come back and get your get your fellow brothers that are not doing so well so it uh it was not a not a good day and uh you know there's there's got to be some lessons learned unfortunately and uh you know, it's a sad day for, uh, for everyone. So
0: how many, uh, firefighters are typically in one of those trucks?
1: Uh, they depend on, uh, the seating and the category and the, the countries that, um, staff them. So like here, typically <laughs> in Canada, um, our trucks, we usually have one person, um, cause you can run as a driver operator. Um, so you can drive the truck and spray the water. So they typically have one to two. Um, I've seen as many as four seats. Um, so it looked like from the footage there, they had the two, two guys, uh, probably an officer in the, past, in the passenger seat, in the officer's seat and a driver to uh, get the vehicle to where they're going.
2: How, how much water is in one of those
3: typically
1: so the one that the one that got hit there it was a single axle so that's a 1500 gallon truck okay. oh. which will also have 200 gallons of foam and 500 pounds of dry chem and the uh the triaxle or the 6x6 six six, they're 3000 gallons plus the 500 gallons dry chem and uh, and the foam and then they also make a 4500 which is a an 8x8 eight um, and that's, uh, that's 4,500 gallons of water. Wow. So they're, uh, they're, they're big and heavy. Like the <laughs> trucks we have in, in Kelowna here, they're 93,000 pounds fully loaded. So
0: yeah, absolutely, man. So I know we were kind of talking, um, just about kind of the, the, the typical response. Um, do you want to tell us kind of what, what your typical response is, um, at your airport? And then I'm sure we have a bunch of questions kind of in our rural areas, how we should be facing these scenarios.
1: Our our airport, we're uh, we're the number nine or number 10 busiest in um, Canada here. So um, after COVID numbers, they're estimating we're going to hit 1.7 million passengers this year. Uh, Before COVID, we were over 2 million. So we're basically our own little city. We have... You know your typical medical calls. You have your your um, like a wide range. You could have overdoses to trip and fall to head injuries. You're you're kind of you're kind like I said. You're kind of your own cute little community. Um, And then your your aircraft incidents. Um, A lot of a lot of students can be from the flying schools. We got a couple flying schools there. Um, So airports are are generally fairly busy with um, just about everything. Um, we, we respond to small aircraft, helicopter incidents. Um, if a, a large commercial end or jet has a medical issue on board or it has got hot brakes, um, an engine out, we're responding to those as well um cargo planes there's lots of cargo all the amazon and and um any of the courier companies they all fly their stuff in so now you're now you're looking at you know do you have a mass casualty incident Mm -hmm. that's going to occur do you have a hazmat incident like you've got a lot of players coming if there is an incident um or like a like a commercial jet you've got you've got uh you know, upwards of a hundred people that have the possibility of being injured. Plus, you know, the jet fuel—is uh, there smoke inhalation? Do the doors open? Do they not open? How are you getting those people out? It, uh, it becomes very, very logistical. You got to be on the ball, pretty, pretty good to uh, to run those scenarios.
0: Yeah, I remember. <clears throat> I know they uh, in Kona... Corner... Is it once a year they usually host that big MCI training out there?
1: So what we do is there's a, there's a tabletop every year, and then there's a, um, a mass casualty or a scenario, they call it, um, every three years. So that's where they'll bring out um, the Allison Fire Department, uh, Lake Country, and the members from Kelowna Fire Department, they will come out, and you will go through a scenario, whether it's a, a bomb scare or um, a bird strike, or the plane's on fire. And now you're you're bringing the outside agencies, RCMP attend, um, BC ambulances there. You've got transit, you've got the coroner, you've got everybody, everybody there to try and do a practice run so that if an incident does occur, you sort of have an idea of what's what's going on. Uh, We have college kids that are all dressed up in in the moulage, so they have the wounds. Um, They have tags on their chest so that you can see what kind of injuries they have.
3: Mm. Um, So you're trying to get them out of the the plane, sort of get them hosed off and deconned, move them forward to
1: BC (laughs) Ambulance for staging, and... And you know, off to the hospital or or into another area so that they can be corralled.
0: Yeah, that's right. I remember I participated in one in uh, the Lower Mainland when I was down there. Um, but of course, with BCHS, ours was just the uh, the triage and patient care side of things. But uh, standing back and watching the whole operation, there's a lot of moving parts. And I guess oh yeah,
1: when... yeah you've got you've got. Uh upwards of i think on the last one we did there was probably 300 participants Mm -hmm. you know between the between the injured people and you've got um fire chiefs observing um you've got auditors watching to see if everything goes well um from from each agency and then they have a a group meeting afterwards to see how everything went you've also got the airlines who are trying to take care of their passengers and you know they're then notifying family members and you've got a media section and it uh, it balloons up quite quickly right so mm-hmm. the ecc gets involved for the city and you know you you might not be transporting by ambulance so you might be transporting to the hospital by bus right okay. you, you use the mass casualty um transport
0: yeah i know um yeah, for us, a lot of that in our casualty collections and triaging, um, yeah, a lot of that we, we <laughs> lean on the, the buses and stuff for transport. And then different, well, in Kelowna is one thing, but different hospitals too for the lower mainland. Um, and even when I was on car down there, well, even in Kelowna, um, many, many times we'd get tasked to to the airport code three for a plane in distress coming in, you know, and it's, it was always kind of ironic because we'd get to the airport, to the staging area, it's like, oh, great. We sent three ambulances for hundred passengers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes though we actually send half the fleet goes, yeah. uh, depending on the intel that's coming in, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I've other, seen
1: yeah. I've seen anything from from one or two ambulances and one or two cops to you know half a dozen cops and one ambulance to you know, like I said, we've if if we have something small, we generally take care of it on our own. If it's something larger, then you know, we're notifying everybody and everybody's coming, coming to the airport. Right. So, and it's one of those things, it's, it's how many times in your career does a plane crash or, you know, so if, if people hear that on the radio, they're coming. Right. Yeah. So it becomes a, it becomes a very big logistical nightmare. You know, you gotta, you gotta have your staging guy dialed and command dialed because you're, you know, those first couple minutes are where you make a break that scenario.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with that, like if you guys have an event um, and it turns starts looking like it's going to turn into something uh, with the surrounding departments, who kind of comes in and helps you, helps you? Is there like a, like an automatic kind of mutual aid thing or
1: how does that work? Yeah. So we have, uh, we've, we have uh, first, second, third and general alarms. So first alarm, is say like a small Cessna, um, something we can take care of on our own. Um, and we'll notify, uh, KFD, the fire department. They will potentially send a platoon captain our way if we request it. Um, otherwise we take care of it on our own. A second alarm is say a cargo plane. It doesn't have, um, a lot of passengers, you know, you might have a, a six-feeter uh, Cessna Citation or or a King Air. Well, King Air is over 10,000 pounds. So King Air or like a medevac, those are 10,000 pounds. So they're a second alarm for sure. We're then getting um, mutual aid. We're getting an engine, a PC, and a tender from Kelowna, and... Um, when we have a third alarm, we're getting, we're getting, um, we're getting an engine and a tender from Ellison who was across the road from us. We're getting an engine and a tender from Lake country. Um, and then we're getting from Kelowna, we're getting, I think it's four engines, a rescue. Um, we're getting potentially the hazmat, um, three tenders, because, you know, not every not every plane will crash where there is a hydrant, right? So it becomes a logistical issue of trying to trying to get water on the plane. Mm-hmm. So our our trucks they have um, they're Oshkosh Strikers and they're three thousand gallon trucks, uh, but our pumps are so strong that we can go through that water in two and a half minutes, yeah. right? So we're on our low flow you know, the idea for us is we want to knock down the flame and then maintain that foam blanket. So with a two-truck attack that we have, we're trying to get one truck to provide a fire for egress for anyone who can self-evacuate that plane, and the second truck is going to go after the fire. So once that's done, then you're going to maintain that blanket to prevent any fumes from reigniting and you're going to try and direct all the all the passengers that got off on their own over to a safe area um if it was a large incident well now you're looking at a large area numerous people that are injured um and now you're looking at bringing all the manpower so if we had say a a 737 crash you're now looking at a general alarm so a general alarm is bringing upwards of I think fifteen or twenty apparatus, and you know, uh, a page out for for all the manpower except for one or two halls in Kelowna, plus the plus the backfilling of the of the outside volunteer halls. Right, so you're you're looking at sixty plus people coming to to as firefighters, not to mention the ambulance, paramedics, uh, police, everyone else coming to. Um, to assist on that right because now it not only is it a fire but it's a crime scene it's a federal investigation that's going to occur it uh, it becomes a quite an incident
3: mm-hmm.
2: hmm. what do you with uh, the tenders are, when the tenders come how do you draw the water from the tender is it like a traditional um, drop tank or do you do it some other way
1: so uh, one tender that we have over at Ellison it actually has a pump on it. So it can pump into us. Um, Our trucks are set up to draft, but we don't do that. So it's basically from the tender into an engine and into the truck. So it's a, it's a bit of a procedure, um, to try and to try and uh, perform. So if if we can get a hydrant, we're going to try and go for a hydrant just because it's way simpler. But Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, if you're if you don't have one around,
0: that's that's what you got to do. Right. So let's say there was a hydrant. Uh, How does that work? Logistics is that so your your other um, agency coming in, the other truck, are they grabbing that hydrant and laying it up to your trucks?
1: Well, see, our trucks can pump and roll. So the last thing we want to do is tie ourselves down. So if we can, if we can maintain that ability to pump and roll, then we can attack the fire from from all the way around the plane, um, the the airfield. Uh, y- you don't have enough hose to hook to a hydrant and drag it all the way no. to us. There's only there's only five or six on the or there's four on the airfield. And you know, if you're in the far corner of the of the airfield, there's a hydrant off the road. You could maybe tag up and and take it, but it's the odds of using it is are pretty slim. That's why we we try and get all the tenders in, right?
0: So then, so then you're trying to. Additionally, like if there was a hydrant semi nearby, <clears throat> you're trying to drive over to there, fill, and go back. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So the idea is that we want to try and knock down the fire right away as fast as we can and provide that fire free egress and then if one and then knock down to to low flow um so that it gives the opportunity of the other departments to get here to give us the manpower um there's lots of times where we'll get a call and you know oh i'm 5 miles out okay yeah. so uh we'll roll out of the hall will initiate the call and by the time the units are responding that plane is on the ground Mm -hmm. so that's sort of how it goes generally um usually a pilot if he knows he has an issue it's not in the last couple minutes it's usually he's trying to work on it to figure it out in the air and you know he's letting us know if he's burning fuel off he's going to be trying to circle and burn fuel and figure out his issue with all of his checklists that he has in the, in the plane, Mm. then he's going to try, then he's going to try and come down. Right. So if it's, if it's a small plane or a student, student pilot, and all of a sudden, you know, he lands and he jerks the, jerks the throttle or hits the brakes or something. And now he's off in the creek, you know, (laughs) it's you're responding to what you get instantly you know you you you, the the doors the alarm goes off the doors go up and we hop in the truck and we respond out call a tower and if you don't see smoke you know the tower's going to tell us oh there's a plane in the creek x amount of feet down from the north end of the runway Hmm. you know you're clear to go so then we can respond that way but it's the same thing. If there's a plane off the off the property, you know the bells go off. We respond out towards the airfield, and you know you might get you might get the call that well actually it's you know it's behind you. It's at the college or it's at the university or right. you know yeah. it's 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 in the industrial area on the other side of the valley. Right, you just can't see it because it's behind you.
0: Right. So that was my question.
1: So yeah, so so you were asking earlier. So our trucks—they got three thousand gallons of water, and and two thousand or two hundred gallons of foam. So our trucks are actually set at two percent foam. So we can go three tanks of water to one tank of foam. So by the time we're down six thousand gallons of water per truck, we should have we should have that plane taken care of. Um, or we're having a real bad day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <clears throat> so the scenario, like you just kind of mentioned, like if one falls short, like from the airport, say it's, it's on the highway um, before the airport in college area, do you guys go off site to respond to that as well?
1: Yeah. So there's a, what they call in Canada here is the CFAA. So it's it's one mile at either end and a half mile off the edge of the runway. So really, our area includes part of Ellison up to the college, um, just, about, just about to Reed's Corner and actually touching Duck Lake. So that's our, that's our initial area on top of the airfield. And then if there's something outside of that, we have a mutual aid agreement with the city and I believe it's a seven kilometer radius where we'll send one truck and try and leave one truck back at the airport to keep keep business running. But we'll send another one um, with some manpower out um, to try and take care of that incident. Or, you know, they could call us
3: for an overturned fuel truck or, you know, anything that's a Class B fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So with that, you guys have two trucks at the airport?
1: We have... So our, our fleet, we have two... Uh, 3,000 gallon strikers mm-hmm. and we also have uh, an F-550 okay. that we have as a response truck and we can use it for medicals right. um, and then we have a command vehicle as well
3: So, and How many people so, are on shift in a given operational period? Uh,
1: so our staffing is uh, we have 16 and one floater so our crews are actually four or staff members there's usually someone on vacation so you're really looking at three for most of the year
3: right
1: um and that's sort of why they've they run it with one guy per truck so you'll have you'll have one guy running red one and red two and you know he's he's the man he's (laughs) he's in the truck he's trying to formulate his plan and and he's trying to you know drive and run the radios and and it's uh it's a pretty daunting job to do with uh with one person sure so ideally like if you were to follow um Australia's rules or ACO standards they have a lot more manpower but uh it is what it is in Canada and um they don't have string as stringent rules so where we have four staff Times four crews. That's what we have,
0: mm-hmm. and way cooler engine names. That's for sure. Red one, well, I mean, hell yeah. Red one, red two. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah right. Well, and that's so. So back in the day, in the military times in World War Two, um, it used to be crash fire rescue, right? And and now to to say crash fire and rescue, it they they go away from that because it it evokes images of terror for passengers so they they go to aircraft rescue firefighting right it, uh it's a little it's a little nicer image for for the passengers i guess <laughs>
0: yeah that's the way society's going i guess <laughs> yeah i won't go off on a tangent <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so so
1: manpower is uh is a big issue because um, you know you, you you've always got to try and have someone in response posture for the runway. Um, so if you have a medical, you're generally sending a couple of guys, um, to that. And you've got to keep somebody back so that they can respond to a plane incident if something was to happen. Right. Right. So,
0: so Mm -hmm. are you guys in charge of like patient extrication as well or just fire suppression?
1: So we go, um, annually for our live fire training. It's mandated by the federal government to participate in a live fire incident or scenario. So uh, this last year we were actually in Toronto uh, for 2022. Um, So it does, our training does involve making entry and retrieving the patients um, in the plane and extricating them out. Um, If you've been to one of the scenarios there's a team that goes in with a hose, there's a rescue team that goes in, and you're extricating the passengers that can't make it out on their own, right? So it's it's always the self-evacuating patients that get out on their own, and then you have to send people in to get those other people out. So as you go, you know, when you're, when you're in the boarding lounge and they're, they're saying, you know, anyone with young families, anyone that needs assistance, please come up and we'll give you a hand. Well, you start looking around, and how many people are are getting a, a wheelchair to the plane, or there's young kids, or you know those types of those types of passengers. They're going to need more help than than just you know they're not going to just get up and get out. So yeah. there's always there's always that scenario of you know people are getting out and now you've got to you've got to go in and get get the people that couldn't get themselves out right Mm -hmm.
0: so do you guys have um uh like extrication like your traditional extrication tools as well
1: uh yeah we got uh we have um little crash axes which actually if you were to look at them they look like they've been like mangled the instead of like a one round curved blade ours are kind of jagged so that if you were to hit the aluminum side of the plane the the teeth will actually catch and tear as opposed to just hit the plane and bounce off Hmm. so they're they're kind of an interesting looking tool um we also have traditional rotary saws um jaws we got portable jaws um so yeah, we've got we've got all the all the tools that you need for cutting cars or trying to cut through the planes and ideally ideally we're going to try and use a door. So whether it's whether it's the main door or whether it's the overwing doors, that's probably where we're going to go in first, um, because cutting into a plane takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, yeah. and there's a lot of hidden things like oxygen lines, hydraulic yeah. lines. You know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong when you cut and you need to know where to cut Um, like trying to pry a a plug type door on a commercial plane that's bad news you'll be there all day you know Um, it's kind of like cutting a roof only the side of the plane like you're you're your out a section and you start cutting and trying to have it fold out so that you can make entry in Um, and that's on a commercial plane on a on a like a Cessna, um, we were talking about this earlier. A Cessna is is not a car, right? So, like cars, if someone was to be in an accident, you guys will you guys will lop the, the A pillar, the B pillar, and try and fold the roof back to get them out, or or, or pry the doors and, and the roof. Well, the the wings that are above your head, they're full of fuel. So if you're if you go to cut, well, the fuel lines for each wing goes down the A pillar. So if you were to if you were to cut that A pillar, well, now you've got you've got that whole tank of fuel dumping out on you. So right. that's uh, that's creating a, a bad hazard right there.
0: So let, let's talk a little bit more about that. Some kind of strategies and tactics for for our areas. So <clears throat> what kind of prompted the conversations is that you and I spoke prior to recording, uh, like in our areas. You know, small pay-on-call or volunteer departments. Um, we have a small little airport in each of our communities here, um, which get a lot of the Cessnas, the King Airs, we get uh, some of the, the medevacs, the jets, the Lears, um, and a lot of helicopter traffic, like 212s and, and larger. Um, but we don't have any of that airport crash training. We don't have any of those style of trucks. Like, we've got our our basic firefighting engines with foam um and some departments have calf uh, but that's it um what would you say or recommend like <clears throat> the best kind of strategies for us
1: yeah so for um i think if i look at if I, I looked at it earlier so there's 26 airports across canada that actually have um are federally mandated um Beyond that, you might have like uh, airfields that are like up at the oil sands and areas like that that would have ARF as well. The majority of the airfields are like you just said, you're you're a volunteer hall, and you know you're overseeing the you're overseeing the airfield, and now something happens. So you know you guys are responding to to this incident where. You know, it's, it's something that doesn't happen every day. It's something that you guys haven't trained for regularly. So it's not, it's not on the front of, it's not on the front of your mind. And, um, I've, I've listened to, uh, Gordon Graham. He says, uh, higher risk, low frequency. So it's an incident that's a high risk incident, but it doesn't happen very often so there's big consequences but it's something that's oh yeah well that won't happen oh don't worry about that that won't happen and, and it's, it's not in your mind it's one of those things you got to start <laughs> digging through books to try and think of and that's the last time you want to be doing something is when it's already happened so for you guys you know Oliver, Osuyus you guys aren't very far from the airfield you're going to be responding and you know if it's on fire, you're, you're, you're trying to put that fire out. Um, like avgas, it's, it's pretty flammable. Like, uh, I think flame spread on that's like 12 and a half feet per second. So if you've got a puddle of that on the ground, it's, it's going to be a big fireball. Um, that being said, you're going to try and get, if the, if the patient is, is still in there, if the pilot and, and, and crew or pilot, and passengers are in the plane. You guys are going to try your damnedest to try and put that fire out and and get those guys out of the plane. Um, the doors on, on little Cessnas and things like that, they are, they're, they're pretty flimsy. You can, you can snap those out as long as the airframe isn't, isn't damaged. Um, tool wise, you're going to use whatever you've got, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Every, every department's sort of got their own, their own setup of tools. Um, it's basically surround and drown. If, it, lots of times a, uh, a pilot can, can hit the ground and, and sort of open the door and get out before things escalate, before a fire spreads. Um, but things you're going to want to look out for is, um, like you don't want to go anywhere near the prop. Uh, you know, back in the old days, you look at the videos where guys were like pulling the prop to start the engine. Well, the they still have magnetos in there. So if you are messing around with that prop, it can actually fire back up. And now you've got another issue, right? Um, you're, you're looking out for the avgas. So, yeah, well, the aviation gasoline, it's it's uh, what they call 100 LL so it's a 100 low lead uh, 100 to 130 octane fuel um, it's it's pretty flammable it's pretty dangerous <clears> stuff <throat> you don't want to be breathing it in either um, it can cause some neurological issues if you're if you're sitting in it breathing it all the time not to mention the environmental issues mm-hmm. um, so yeah you're going to try and get it in and and get that passed, and you're out. Um, and hopefully, if you guys can, and you're thinking of it, and this podcast is a good thing, is that there's there is some some training that can occur beforehand. So you got to remember anything that you do or touch in the plane needs to be documented, because when Transport Canada comes through and does their investigation, they take a look at all the switches, they take a look at all the all the instruments, any pieces that are lying around. It, it's, it's a big crime scene, right? So like if, if your guys are there and moving pieces around, it, it needs to be noted that, that, you know, you're, you're uh, what you've touched or you don't want to take anything away. You want to kind of keep people out of the area, you know, kind of have one way in, one way out type of thing. Um, and RCMP will generally try and court and everything off in a big area because if if a plane was losing bits and pieces before it was landing, well, they've got to account for all those bits and pieces before before the investigation's done, right? So, right, it's it's a it's a big scenario, and and as a volunteer, Holly, you're you're looking at it like you know this is my one in a, one in a career type incident, and what are we going to do? Yeah. It's, it's sort of a roundabout story, but if you're going to turn around and down, the, the foam you have may work uh, for, for um, like it may be B, B-class foam. Um, and you're going to try and maintain that blanket and try and just hit it with what you got, right? Your your engines are typically 500 gallons of water, which can, can do some damage. Um, so yeah, you're just going to, you're going to try and do your best and, and not not disturb the crime scene.
0: Yeah, and weren't you saying um, before, like, depending on the environment, like how hot the tarmac is too, just a fuel spill could be enough to ignite it? Yeah, so Avgas, it has a
1: it, – it can combust at 38 degrees. So, like, hot asphalt, if, they're, if they're, the guy's refueling and it's, it's on the asphalt, hot summer day, you can uh, – you can actually have it hit the ground. And if you're cooking eggs on the ground, you can, uh, you can start a fire from the ab gas. So it's a, it's a bad scenario. Mm-hmm. You want to, you want to be up in the Arctic somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. I know we were chatting, um, I guess the other week about some crashes and stuff that we've had in our area. Like, you know, so that said we had a, a Cessna hit the highway, um, and go down, um, We've had helicopter crashes. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we had the helicopter crash, and that was actually leaking fuel as well. So yeah, the pump was still running. It was uh, it was leaking fuel. Uh, luckily, I guess that was into a vineyard, so um, less good for the environment, but uh, better for uh, obviously the uh, combustion side of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So like when 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 we make entry into a plane, there's a set
1: of there's a set of criteria that we do. We try and go to the cockpit first because we want to ensure that the, that the throttles are shut off, that the fire bottles to the engines have been, have been pulled, that the batteries been shut off and that the brakes have been applied. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big tube of fire with a lots of gasoline in those things. So if you can shut the fuel off, um, that's that's taking away the source of the fire if you can shut the throttles off and and shut the engines down that there's also you know creating a safety incident where you know uh, there's you can see incidents where the a a jet still the engine's still running and you don't want to be anywhere near the back end of that it'll it'll shoot you um it'll shoot you down the road um, you don't want to be in front of the engine because now you're in ingestion, an ingestion area. Um, you know, and you'll get sucked in. That's, that's not any, that's not any better. That's a bad day. Um, yeah, that's a bad day. <laughs> day. Yeah. That's a bad day. Um, yeah, ideally, like we've had some Cessnas that have, that have wiped out, um, overrun the runway or, or into the Creek or, um, off the runway. And we, uh, we generally try and get in there and shut the fuel off, and um, all most planes in, in Canada also have an ELT. It's an alert that will go and ping to towers um, in the region, so that you can see that there's a plane down. So <clears throat> ideally, you want to shut the shut the throttles off, shut the switches, uh, the fuel switch off, and um, and then Cessna's you got to watch because you've got a left and a right wing so you can it has a left and a right and a both so you want to you want to make sure that you turn it off you could you could potentially turn it one click and think you're off and you've actually now feeding both tanks to that leak so you want to make sure it's it's turned off and then shut off that elt so that um it's not pinging for all the towers in the area Mm. so yeah it's uh the small planes are a completely different ball game than the helicopters, and the helicopters are a different game than the commercial planes and the cargo planes. It's a, uh, it's it's a
3: it's a big industry. So a bit on slash off topic. So let's say that there's an aircraft that's coming towards the airport, and they're about to have an issue. Um, being Kelowna is one of the busier. Airports. As soon as something has an issue, like are they shutting down all air traffic to that air airport until that issue is either uh, deemed over or safe? Like what is happening? I guess with the rest of these. So what? Traffic? What they'll
1: do is if the pilot is is declaring an emergency and a mayday, he gets priority over everything else. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So what the what the guys in the tower will do is they will they will divert other planes either to other airports or have them circle. Mm -hmm. And they're going to give that, that plane that's having the issue the, the straight shot into the, into the runway if that's what's needed. Right. Right. So, yeah. So essentially you're, he's contacting the tower, the tower's contacting everyone else to stay out of the way. And if you're coming in, this is the, this is the, this is the runway we're using and it's all yours. Then the guy will also, the guy in the tower will also notify us and we'll be out in uh, standby positions waiting for him to, to touch down. So sure. if it was a, say a Cessna we're what we do is we have a, a plane at the, at the end of the runway to follow him down the runway and one sort of at the other end. And we, we kind of, like catch and follow so as soon as it passes the one plane will go out on the runway follow them all the way down ensuring that nothing is falling off the plane (laughs) so there's no FOD or
0: foreign object debris the the truck you mean Um, the truck's following yeah so this this would be the first truck that's on the runway if there's no
1: incident and then he if the if the pilot's having an issue and he can he can get off the runway and circle back to Say a hangar, then we follow him back to the hangar and, and do a bit of paperwork and investigation and, and, whatnot. If, if it was a larger plane or if it did crash, then at least we have, we have one plane at the, at the end of the runway and one sort of three quarters of the way down so that you already have your apparatus there ready, waiting, um, and, and can quickly respond. So, so the quicker that a pilot can notify the tower that he's having an issue the quicker we can be out there
3: mm-hmm, right.
1: and same thing with with if it's a if it's a commercial plane or a cargo plane passenger plane the more from the more lead time we get that that allows the the mutual aid departments time to get to their halls or get their equipment to the airport right so we have had issues where not issues but times where you've got a plane that's giving you 20 minutes or half an hour head start and you can be sitting there waiting and all the other mutual aid can be sitting and staging waiting to go as opposed to oh now there's something you know now mm-hmm. we're responding and everyone else is 10 minutes behind sure right mm-hmm. so
3: which is more of what we'll get <laughs> like yeah. when we have our oh yeah our, yeah our right. well cuz no so I, i'm yeah. not
1: i I don't really know this and I and I, I could probably look it up. I think maybe, um, like you guys don't have a tower, so no. I don't know if Cole, if Penticton does any tower work for <coughs> Oliver, or whether it's just all calling in the blinds. So if a lot of airports that don't have a control tower, the you, you if you're a vehicle on the airfield, you you stop, you listen on the radio frequencies for any aircraft making any calls and you would call out um who you are where you are and where you want to go you hold on you wait and hear if there's any any other traffic on that radio channel and then you would call it out again and proceed from from your point to where you're going and then call off Mm -hmm. so Aircraft always have the right of way, so on on scenarios where you guys don't have a tower, you would you know that's sort of the procedure that would occur. Um, so if for you guys say in these in these smaller areas, if if they're making the call to an unmanned unmanned airport, you know um, the pilot's probably going to try and call nine one one from the plane. And maybe say, hey, I'm having issues. Um, I'm five minutes out or I'm 10 minutes out or, you know, what my issues are. It's one more thing that that pilot has to do at that smaller airport um, to try and get people on the ground to give them a hand. Mm -hmm.
0: Crazy. Yeah, that's a a lot going on. Yeah, Yeah. There's a lot going on because, like
1: I said, they've got they've got their own protocols and check sheets to try and go through to solve that problem. They try and solve the problem on their own, whether it's a landing gear that's not coming down hydraulically and they have to like hand crank it. So I know of, I know of some planes that had uh, hydraulic issues and, and you know, they don't have that, that cockpit door and you know, you're sitting in the back and you see the pilots like actively trying to crank a handle, you know, as you're as you're circling around because you're 20 minutes late because you're trying to get in, and they're you know they're like, hey, we got an issue. Um, we're trying to solve it. You know, as a as a passenger look, looking at that, and you're like, uh, uh <laughs> okay. um,
0: okay. But
1: you know, on on that scenario, they those guys did hand crank it down and locked in, and they landed without issue, right? So there's uh like I said, there's 26 airports across Canada that have that have ARF, and I think I forget what the number was. There's there's a whole lot of airports out there that don't have don't have the ARF, and um, you know, it's it's up to the neighboring communities. And if the neighboring community is is you know, it's it'll never happen. Don't worry about it. Then you know that's that's when things go wrong. Go sideways. Wow!
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, it's a lot to think about, you know, for our little areas. Definitely something to well, keep the discussion. Yeah, going.
1: like like trying to be an instant commander on a on a on an incident that you're not really aware of. Um, you know, true. and the logistics of of who's coming and what's happening. It's, uh, you know it's it can it can it can balloon up pretty quickly and then you're uh you're behind the eight ball and now you're trying to play catch up right so
3: and that being said any any airfield out there if a pilot's having an issue and he knows that he he, there's an airfield
1: down there even if it's too too small for him he may try and punch it in just because it's an airfield right or like you guys said uh, down the highway anything Mm -hmm. that's flat and open if the guy's having a big enough issue, he's going to try and punch it in on, mm-hmm. on any, anywhere he can, right? It's a, lot, it's a lot easier to land on a road than it is to land in a bunch of trees mm-hmm. or a field, right?
2: Hey, Jeff, uh, you guys yeah. recently had a C-17 Globemaster flying in Kelowna from the Canadian military. Do you guys get a? Uh, yeah. Do you guys get a pre-plan sent to you for aircraft like that that are flying through, just so you have, you know, you know what's going to be in the area.
1: So what we do here is is in our trucks we have um, what we call crash charts. So any uh, <clears throat> any commercial jets that are in the that are land at the airport regularly will have a crash chart on, and that will show. Um, battery locations, fuel tanks, uh, oxygen tanks, hydraulic lines. That sort of gives us uh, the basics of uh, like a skeletal or a, or a um, blueprint on it to give you the information as to what and where the dangerous items are. Um, so say like that Globemaster, we we may go and do a tour when it comes through. Um We don't generally have them. um, We don't generally have those those crash charts in front of us. Um, But if we know that they're coming, then we can we can print them out, have them ready, do a tour, talk to the Canadian Armed Force guys. They're usually really good, Um, and they'll show us pretty much anything we want to look at when they're here. Uh, This year we had the Snowbirds. That, uh, that came in and did some, some flying for the 75th anniversary of our airport. And uh, we, we spent uh, three different information sessions going going over the planes um, with, with their pilots and their emergency crews so that if there was an incident on the ground, kind of like what happened up in uh, Kamloops there a couple yeah. of years ago, yeah. that, that we know... And they know that we know what to do and how to help them out, right? Sure. Because, um, like what happened in Camloops, was the the two the two snowbirds took off, and the one ingested a bird, and it didn't have enough elevation. So when they when they pulled the chutes and jettison the, the canopy and and pull and and hit the ejector seat, they didn't have enough elevation to open the chute and land safely. They ended up landing on a rooftop. That's right. So so the idea is that now whenever they're whenever they're gonna do a an air show, they generally try and and uh, engage with the ARF departments. We did do tours with them before, but they're they're making a, a bigger effort now as well to make sure that that uh, that they're safe wherever they are and wherever they're doing a, a, a show. Mm-hmm. So like you said, for the sort roundabout with the Globemaster, we, we have some access to to the crash charts, and we can do tours, but you just never know with the military stuff. You may have ordnance. You may have, you know, weaponry. Um, if there was one of, <laughs> if there was a Canadian
3: Aircraft
1: or Canadian Forces aircraft that had an issue, we would t- be taking guidance from the pilot they would be telling us you know these are live or this is not live or approach from this direction um, we've had we've had s16s come in where they've had hot brakes and and we're spraying water on the brakes or a fan on the brakes so that you know it's it's cooling off and you're not aiming say at the wings that could have rockets or missiles
0: or or anything else right so wow yeah that's uh there's a lot going on man that's for sure a lot of stuff that happens that people don't realize
1: yeah and like you said the the you got general aviation with the you know the brand new pilot and the and the and the student you've got helicopters that you know guys are learning how to use them and and here in the Okanagan there's a lot of helicopters brought out now with uh, cherry season. They're, they're hovering over the blossoms in the spring to, to keep warm air on them so that they don't freeze and lose the blossoms. They're running them after rainstorms so that they're, they dry the cherries so that you know, they don't split with the water. Like there's a lot of helicopters up in the air right now. And um, you know, you've got that, you've got commercial, you've got cargo. Like it's every every plane is is almost its own story and uh, there's stuff in the air all the time.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Jeff, for uh, coming on and uh, chatting. I'm sure we could keep going on and on with questions, but that kind of leads us into other stuff that we've talked about, maybe talking about some, uh, some local training opportunities. Heck yeah. But um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up unless you have anything else to add well I'm, I'm just uh thankful to be able to
1: uh, participate with you guys here and uh hope you have the guys have a great day
0: awesome thank well thanks, thanks again jeff really appreciate it any more guys
1: thanks,
0: oh, all right Yeah, thanks, man. well thanks man you have a good night
1: okay thank you all right bye-bye
0: all right that was uh our chat with jeff um yeah, i just want to thank him again for coming on it was great a lot of knowledge a lot of experience there and we were kind of talking um after the interview there, you know, there's there's a lot of um, skills and techniques and tactics that we can be looking at for our small communities and our small airports.
3: Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, going into the podcast there, um, prior to get, getting them on the phone, you know, we're sitting here chatting and we're thinking, um, like, knowing they're going to be busy, but, like, even in, like, a big airport like Kelowna, like, how many actual like scenarios are, are they operating on? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and he says like for us, like the average small town <laughs> fire fire uh, department that has an airfield might see one. I mean, we're, we're then the lucky ones cause we've seen several, several. Mm-hmm. Right. But, I mean, even so with that being said, like if, if he's run a handful of like larger scenario, um, calls, there's still so many other parts of the job that you have to be up to speed on, uh, for skill set, uh, for knowledge based on the aircraft that's going to be coming into the area. It was yeah, it was, it, it was just a lot, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is really, you know, really really interesting to hear.
2: You know, just even
3: talking about the amount of
2: air traffic that we actually have come flying through our area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you were saying, the cherry. Season we have the low flying aircraft that are blowing <coughs> off the yeah. the blossoms. Yeah. Uh, we've got more and more helicopters flying through on tours, wine tours, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and again fire season. We've got this past I season, like I said, yeah. we yeah. have like fifteen yeah. helicopters of varying sizes and types. Uh, some sure. fixed wing, even flying through. So mm. it's busier and busier up and down the valley with uh, air traffic.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh, I found the big takeaway for them and in, in, in his specific airport, like you know if he's rolling with with just him in the truck, mm-hmm. um, you know there, there's a lot going on. Like he's talking on, like you said, like five different radios, you know, different frequencies, other departments coming in. You know, he's building his plan in his head. He's the instant commander, but also running the truck, and he's got to think of the the tactics uh, at hand to start suppressing the fire or. Mm-hmm whatever they, he may be doing right right so there's, a, there's a lot of weight on one person's shoulder there sure it is yeah it was really awesome to hear. yeah so again just want to thank him again um, you know we're gonna have some further discussions um, for some future training for our area so yeah, 100%. Um, all right well, let's jump into some shout outs let's start with modus ash
3: yeah Modus. we uh, we run their uh, snagger tools but they got a ton of other stuff that they can get um, off their website there they've got obviously the snagger they've got their uh forced entry wedges um some of the uh soft and passive entry uh kit their mask bags uh tons and tons of stuff there so check out their social media um if you like what you see uh run the discount code dtff5 for five percent off your order
0: absolutely uh stop
2: the bleed
3: scott (laughs) (laughs) buckley's uh (laughs) <laughs> Buckley's
2: commercial. Yeah. <laughs> stop the cough. Yeah, stop the cough. Uh, stop the bleed. Uh, three methods of bleeding control are uh, direct pressure, wound packing, and tourniquets. If you're going to get a, use a tourniquet, use a good one. And if you want more information, check it out at stopbleed.com or .org. Mm-hmm. That's right. Artak um, and
0: Dr. Nick?
3: Yeah, <laughs> sure. Artak. Uh, um, put on by Dr. Nick Sparrow and uh, his colleagues uh, through the ATAC group. Um, So hop online there, um, ATAC group, uh, follow the uh, links to RTAC, and that's gonna give you access to the online RTAC course. Um, I don't know how how large the modules are, but uh, yeah, really awesome. Um, Bit of info there. Uh, really really cool cool course there's no takeaway from the entire thing being done in person but it's an awesome uh, intro to it and then there is a, a live action portion that can come at the end of that as well so uh, hop online uh, sign up for it um, and yeah let us know what you think
0: awesome mm-hmm. absolutely
2: um, Tanner Olson <laughs> <Rock>. <laughs> he's pointing at me <laughs> oh wow uh, yeah Tanner We're Olson. Well, yeah, I did do their sound for their concert when they <laughs> yeah. were here, so we got to know them that way. But yeah, Tanner Olson Band, check them out. Uh, they are fantastic. They sounded great when we had them here. a <laughs> sound <laughs> really, guy. Sound guy. Wow. But uh, yeah, uh, not sure what their winter tour plans are. Well, they're actually in Kelowna coming up right now. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. 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 It's Friday actually. Yeah, this, this coming Friday. Sweet. Standing. Uh, so check. yeah, if you're in the Kelowna area, check, check. them out. And uh, as always, I think you can find them on all your social media <coughs> listening listening avenues. There, uh, download mm-hmm. them, listen to them, play them regularly. There it is. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, you've got uh, you've got us. So um, listen to us on the uh, the YouTube's, TikTok, um, Instagrams. What we we're on the. We're on the Yeah, and Twitter. And Twitter. <laughs> yeah, we're at, so yeah, I we're on, on Twitter, th- <laughs> on Twitter yeah. now again. So uh, yeah, look for that. Uh, we're definitely uh, working hard on social media stuff and mm-hmm. our Facebooks as well as a big one. So give us a like, give us a follow. You can find us on all the usual listening platforms and uh, give us some comments or email us. Um, we're definitely getting a lot better at uh, replying to people and yeah, slowly but surely. Mostly because we're not doing it now. <laughs> yes. Yes. So <laughs> We have a whole we, team. We do have a great team helping us mm-hmm. out with this now. Um, yeah, any more for any more guys?
3: Ash, no, it's good. Thank you. Have a good night, Rob. No, <laughs> oh, good. Thanks, Scott.
2: <laughs> thanks. Good night.
0: All right. Thanks everybody. As always, stay safe. Stay DTF. Yeah. F- <laughs> <laughs>